possible. The Bears' season's going to end on a double doink. 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 Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know that idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea and then, uh... Prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about anything. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I don't know that idea. That's the result you're gonna get. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. laugh the doctor laugh. is now in. Glad to have you with us on a Tuesday afternoon. You know what that means. A terrible Tuesday. We get to uh, vent, rant, give it up from a wild, crazy, busy sports weekend. Today also on the show, strong guest driven show today, Major League Baseball site. We're going to be joined by Chris Basio, the former pitcher, the former Cubs pitching coach. Former World Series champion there as the pitching coach of the Cubs back in 2016. We'll talk to Chris Bazio. Jacques Jones. Oh, yeah. You remember Jacques Jones, the outfielder? Yes, the left-handed hitter from the uh, Minnesota Twins. Spent time with the Cubs, the Marlins as well, too. Got a chance to spend some time with Jacques when he was in town. Actually, he's still in town uh, this past weekend. So we got to spend some time together on uh, Saturday. And uh, also... Uh, a lot of Major League Baseball players in town here with their uh, uh, annual foundation uh, going on this uh, week as well, too. So we'll talk a little Major League Baseball because the big story in MLB is the lockout. The players have been locked out, went back to December the 1st. Hasn't been much communication between ownership and players, and uh, this thing is going to get ugly. So we all remember... What took place way back when? I mean, go back to what, 1994? Man, ugliness. And we've talked with Boz and a lot of our baseball guys uh, regarding that before. And this could be happening again. And this thing has really been kind of under the radar. Uh, Major League Baseball uh, did not set any meetings up uh, ahead of time between when the World Series ended, between the Braves and the Astros, until December 1st when the collective bargaining agreement you know, ended. And they just thought, like, well, we'll get this thing done. Uh, players are not taking too kindly to what's happening right now. And uh, there is a big jeopardy that Major League Baseball could not take place coming up this spring. So, yeah, we'll dive into that. We'll get the latest. And we'll get thoughts uh, from Chris Bosio, Jacques Jones uh, today. We've talked to them. The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, will join us. And uh, we talk about the game that he was at last Saturday night, USF. And UNLV. We talked about it last week. Leading up to it, Don's got the better of the Rebels. Rebels went on the road for their first road trip. Lost to SMU by 21. Lost by basically the same margin to USF Saturday night in San Francisco. So uh, we'll get the big seven-footers thoughts regarding uh, that game in UNLV now. uh, Losing five out of their last uh, six games. But they get ready for... Uh, a couple easier opponents coming up Wednesday and Saturday, taking on Seattle University and also Hartford. Those games will be at the Mandalay Bay at the Michelob Ultra Arena. You know, still got the rodeo, you know, happening in town, everything, NFR, Thomas and Mack Center. And then uh, the Rebels will get ready for Mount West Conference play. All right, so busy show, plus our terrible Tuesday uh, thoughts and our takes and our rants coming your way basically uh, right about now. But I want to dive into last night's game. We previewed the Patriots and the Bills last night, talked about the weather. Man, the weather was definitely a factor last night, and both coaches played into the weather. Uh, One played into it a little bit better than the other, and of course it's going to be Bill Belichick. And we talked about Nick Saban and what he's done with Alabama and I brought up Bill Belichick with Houston Nutt yesterday, uh, the former coach who does a great job with CBS, talking about how both of these guys just seem to, to basically outsmart their fellow coaches, outsmart opponents, getting the job done uh, on their own plane. Nick Saban with college football, with Alabama pulling the upset against Georgia, now the number one seed and the favorite to win the college football national championship once again to try to go back-to-back and Lo and behold, here come the Patriots again. Patriots in first place in the AFC East. 
They led Buffalo by a game last night. Now they lead Buffalo by two games as the Patriots get the job done. They win 14-10 to last night. And we talk about, you know, utilizing the weather. You saw that when Buffalo uh, was going into the win, uh, they did not try to pound the ball on the ground. They went with their regular game plan, pretty much let Josh Allen throw through the air. A couple passes did get away from him, as would be expected with 40 to 50 mile an hour gusts uh, last night. But a very tactical game and a pretty entertaining game. Uh, even though the score was only 14-10. to 10, Dead under last night, uh, we talked about that. But Mac Jones, the Patriots quarterback, attempted three passes. Three passes! That was it. And that was by design. I believe the first 18 plays were running plays. And uh, give the Patriots credit last night. Mac Jones, two for three, 19 yards. That's his stats last night. Two for three, 19 yards. New England ran the ball 46 times for 222 yards. you got to love Belichick. I know a lot of people hate Belichick, but he stuck to his game plan. Him and Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, they've done this before in inclement weather. We, uh, remember the snowplow game? I mean, that's going way, way back. But New England beat Miami 3-0. You know how many passes the Patriots threw that game? You know, it was different era, different coaches and all that stuff. Threw five passes, and they won that game. And uh, during the Belichick era, during his time as the head coach of the Patriots the past 20 years, we've seen that same type of thing you know, go on where he's got bad weather. Uh, he'll, he'll tell his quarterback, not throwing it. We're just going to ground and pound all the way. So, big victory last night for the Patriots. Continue their win streak. What, six in a row now? Uh, Buffalo, they gave up a lot of yardage again on the ground last night. No different than the last home game where we saw Indianapolis, Jonathan Taylor, run all over them. And it happened again. So, a little concern time if you're a Bills fan. I think uh, definitely so. Uh, You know, players last night were a little on edge. Uh, McDermott was on edge afterwards last night. We're going to play some audio from the postgame press conference as we kick off a terrible Tuesday here as Micah Hyde and Jordan Poirier were uh, answering questions. And then one reporter asked the question if they felt embarrassed after losing the game last night because, and this is the way the reporter Phrase a question. If they felt embarrassed last night after losing the game, because after all, the Patriots won despite only throwing three total passes. Were they embarrassed? I mean, what kind Boy, of question? What are we doing, bro? What kind of question is that? The nation's going to be criticizing you. I think we keep our seven points. Yeah, we, 14, uh, four, or, 14, to, 14. 14 to 10. Is that the final score? We made stops when we had to. They had one big run. I mean, they got good backs. They, yeah, all right. Um, they kept coming back to a couple of runs. I mean, I don't know how you want us to answer that question. That's funny. Well, we'll remember that. I'll remember that. <laughs> They're going to remember that. And we've seen this time and time again with players and coaches. They get a little testy, you know, after a loss. But, again, there are questions that, yeah, you ask some that you don't ask. We mentioned yesterday with the Raiders, with uh, Derek Carr, and our good friend Willie Ramirez from the Associated Press asked a question. I thought it was a great question, where he asked Derek, Derek Carr if uh, you know he felt that the the Raiders need to change up with the play calling, and should they maybe not have Greg Olson call call the plays? Because again, when John Gruden was the coach of the Raiders. He not only was the head coach, he was the offensive coordinator. He was the quarterback coach. He did everything. He called the plays, designed everything. And now Greg Olson is calling the plays. And a lot of people thought, well, he's been around Gruden a long, long time. Not much is going to change. And like we said yesterday, the Raiders miss John Gruden. They miss him for his leadership. They miss him for his innovativeness and the play calling and all of it. And I thought it was a, it was a great question. And Carr basically said... You know, well, the real question you're asking me is, no, I, I love Ole, you know, Greg Olson. And he's not going to throw him under the bus, and, you know, Carr's going to stick by his man. This question last night, 
after the Bills-Patriots game, it was pretty ridiculous. Say, if you felt embarrassed, of course, no player is going to feel good after losing a divisional game and now falling two games behind the leader. You're playing in 23-degree weather, 40 to 50-mile-an-hour gusts. You're not feeling good at all, and you lost, and it was a physical game. Bottom line is, the Patriots were more physical than the Buffalo Bills last night. Didn't matter if they threw three passes. They threw 30 passes. Doesn't matter. Patriots won. Good game plan. More physical team. Better coaching. End of story. So, understand why players would get a little upset with that type of a line of questioning. Again, probably a guy that you know really doesn't know too much about football. <laughs> Don't know what affiliation he's with or whatever, but yeah, a pretty ridiculous question to start us off on a terrible Tuesday. It's terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. All right, sticking with the NFL here. What did we see on Sunday in the game between the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers? All right. Baltimore was winning this game going away. Steelers looked like a no-show. Then all of a sudden, here come the Steelers score 17 points in the fourth quarter. And looked like they're going to win the game. But there's still plenty of time for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens to come on down and try to tie this game in and force overtime. And what happens on the Ravens' final drive of the game? Lamar Jackson leads him into the end zone, throws a touchdown pass, and boom, just like that, here we go. The Ravens come back. The Steelers hang in their head, down a little bit. And we know the Steelers have been a mess, especially with Ben Roethlisberger, a guy that really has been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. Word comes out before the game. This is probably going to be Roethlisberger's final season. And Baltimore came back to apparently tie the game. And I say apparently because they get in the end zone. So at this point in time, it is now 17-16 to with the touchdown with 30 seconds to go. And instead of John Harbaugh sending out the most reliable kicker in the NFL, and we're talking about Justin Tucker to send the game into overtime, he says, no, 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 no. Let's go try to win this game. So they go out, and they go for two. Lamar Jackson drops back to pass, throws a ball to a wide-open tight end. Andrews cannot corral the pass, drops it at the one-yard line, game over, and the Ravens lose the game 17-16. to Instead of sending Tucker out to tie it up at 17, go into overtime, where now you have the momentum, and let's be honest, you have the better team, you're probably going to win that game. At least you have a shot to win the game. Instead of going for a two-point conversion, where the percentage of making a successful two-point conversion is less than 25%. It's less than 25%. It's not an easy task whatsoever. So, what is Harbaugh's thinking here? People can't figure it out. He was asked this in the post-game press conference. Here's his answer. Tried to win the game right there. We were pretty much out of corners, you know, at that point in time. So, there's an opportunity to try to win the game right there. You're out of corners? You're out of corners. You're out of cornerbacks. That's what you're saying. We're trying to win the game right there. To hear other people in the media... Say, I agree with the decision. Yeah, it's a good gutsy call. It's good for what? It's good for what? Drama on television? Is it the smart thing to do? Absolutely not. It's not the smart thing to do. Because there's less than 25% chance that you're going to convert on that. So why would you do it? You kick the PAT. You go to overtime. Whether you win the coin flip or not, you got 10 minutes to play. You got the best field goal kicker in the game. Justin Tucker's probably be good from 60 on in. Maybe even... Beyond 60. We've seen that before, right? 
It is a ridiculous move. It's ridiculous for anyone in the media to think that this is a good move to say, yeah, let's roll the dice. You're rolling the dice. You're not taking a sure thing. And it cost them. What it did now, it put Baltimore behind the eight ball now. Basically, it's a two-game swing with a tiebreaker with the Steelers. You've now let the Steelers back into the race you know, in the AFC North. You've let everyone else back into the race, including the Raiders. All right? All those other teams that were trailing, you know, from the Browns to the Raiders to the Chargers and, and, and the Titans and everybody else, you gave them hope because you made a stupid decision. And then to come back with that logic, we're out of corners. You thinking Ben Roethlisberger is going to slice and dice you like a Vegematic? Are you kidding me? Ben Roethlisberger? Who are you talking about here? This isn't Aaron Rodgers you're going to be facing in the overtime. It's Ben Roethlisberger. A guy on his way out. Steelers have all kinds of holes. Are you kidding me? No. One of the most ridiculous answers that I've seen in trying to justify a bonehead move. And what is it with so many of these these coaches? They want to go for it on fourth down. Fourth and two. Fourth and three. Fourth and seven. And then... Even a fourth and short from their own territory doesn't matter where it is in the game anymore. Yeah, forget the punt. Yeah, and people like that. Okay, that's one thing if you're doing it earlier on in the game. But when you're talking about make or break a decision to win the football game, you got to be smart. And anyone agreeing with that is just not smart. Speaking of bonehead decisions. If you saw the Baylor-Oklahoma State game, what in the world was Dave Aranda doing, the Baylor head coach? It nearly cost the Bears the game, Oklahoma State playing Baylor, Big 12 championship game. Now, Baylor is ahead. I'm going to reset this for you. Baylor is ahead 21-16. to Can you remember this? Dave Aranda is the head coach of the Baylor Bears. They're playing for a right to potentially get in the college football playoff. Oklahoma State was ranked ahead. Oklahoma State wins the game. Good shot, maybe, that they get in to the college football playoff. At any rate, Baylor ahead, 21-16. Final minutes of the game. Oklahoma State puts this long drive together. 99-yard drive. that They're just going down the field here. But they're down five. Field goal no good. The Cowboys have to have a touchdown. Baylor has all three of her timeouts. Now, remember, Baylor's on defense, all right? They use all three in the final two minutes of this game. Oklahoma State driving for the winning score. They got a third and one at the Baylor 25. Baylor calls timeout. Aranda giving Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy time to really think about this. What happens? Oklahoma State converts. Big play. The drive continues. Baylor uses another timeout with 138 to go. And then, a play later, they use another timeout. Their final timeout with 1 minute and 31 seconds to go. All while being ahead. 21 to 16. Now the ball's now at the Baylor 6-yard line. What happens? Oklahoma State back to pass. Going for the game-winning touchdown, pass interference call in the end zone. 127 left on the clock here. Craziness. This is how this final drive inside the one-yard line took place. A minute and a half to go in the conference title game. They throw it up for Martin and a flag down. He couldn't make the catch. Knocked it around for a moment with Mark Milton there, but that's going to be pass interference on the Baylor Bears. Tyler Lacey, the defensive end, is a blocker. Jackson snuffed after he got about half of what they needed. Second and goal. Jackson again tries to go up and over and did not get in on third and goal. This time they will try to throw it. For Oklahoma State, win a conference championship if you score in all likelihood. And perhaps the CFP, Jackson, trying to turn the corner, and he did not get there. Jaron McVay 
pushed him to the pylon and made sure he came up inches short. No question about the call. He didn't get to the pylon. McVay in his 59th career game for Baylor with one of the big plays in the history of their football program. All right, Sean McDonough on a great call like uh, he always does with ABC. Uh, Baylor uh, came up with uh, the victory after the stop or the play of the year, and you heard it right there on the fourth and goal from inside the one, a diving tackle by Jaron McVay. Outstanding. Now, the point of this rant and this matter is, if you're Dave Aranda, why are you using all of these timeouts when you're ahead by five points? You're on defense. It's not like it's inevitable that Oklahoma's gonna, uh, Oklahoma State is going to score. Obviously, they didn't. Your defense came up big. But what you did is you gave the opposition the opportunity to scheme, to take their time, to get what they want, and not take not have to face the clock, not have to race against the clock. Why is anyone using timeouts like this? The coaches mismanaging these timeouts is ridiculous. Here's the rule of thumb. You only use timeouts when you desperately need them, okay? They are not there for a convenience. You're definitely not there to help the opponent. And that's exactly... What happened in this case? It was only there to help Oklahoma State. Why would anyone use all their timeouts when you are ahead, especially when the other team has the ball? It's just total insane thinking. The Raiders did the exact same thing, and we talked about it yesterday. Rich Bisaccia against Washington, leading 15-14, to used two timeouts on defense while Washington has the ball with a minute and a half to go, and the ball just crossed midfield. They're not inside the 10-yard line. It's not inevitable that they're going to kick a field goal and score and you need time left on the other side to try to move down the field. No. You put it on your defense. You put it on the Washington offense. You let Washington scramble like they were starting to do. But when you help the opponent out by giving them time outs, give them plan to scheme, they just crossed the 50-yard line with a minute and a half to go Washington on Sunday. And then Basaccia is calling timeouts to help them. Yes, it helped Washington get the 48-yard field goal, and it probably cost the Raiders the game because when the Raiders got the ball back, they had one timeout, didn't know what, the, what they were doing. They had 37 seconds left, but you had one of the best field goal kickers in the game, and Daniel Carlson. And so with three timeouts or even two timeouts, give Carr some time. We've seen it happen before. Raiders probably could have won that game. But, again, mismanagement from a coach's perspective drives me nuts. All right. You know who is driving Kareem Abdul-Jabbar nuts? That would be LeBron James. That's right. Uh, Kareem was very vocal about uh, talking about LeBron James' recent behavior. Now, we talked about it last week where James had the obscene gesture was uh, flipping off a member of the crowd when they played the uh, Indiana Pacers last week. He also used profane language. And then uh, he was also, the night before, uh, got himself into a little fight at the end where uh, he hit uh, Detroit Pistons center Isaiah Stewart in the face, drawing blood. Uh, That created a little bit of a brawl. Uh, And then what Kareem was upset about, also during that Pacer game, after the victory, LeBron was doing a little provocative dance. (laughs) In a video posted on Substack, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar blasted LeBron James for this provocative dance he did against the Pacers, saying he called the dance stupid and childish and said, goats don't dance. He goes, for me, winning is enough. Why do you need to do a stupid, childish dance and disrespect the other team on the court. It doesn't make any sense. Goats don't dance. Of course, goats being greatest of all time. James was fined $15,000. And then back in October, Kareem also criticized LeBron James for comments he made about the COVID vaccine, saying that James' stance on the vaccine was potentially harmful and deadly. 
And Kareem, the former Laker, not having it with LeBron James. I say, good for Kareem. Don't hold back. And I'm glad that he didn't hold back because he's right. Great players don't need to act like this. I mean, seriously, think about all the great players that we want to put in the GOAT terminology, okay? The greatest of all time. I don't care what sport we're talking about. And I'm not just talking about, you know, players that are playing now, okay? I'm talking about retired players, players that are iconic players, the ones that we revere, that are in the Hall of Fame, that you really have a hard time saying anything bad about. I'm talking about Michael Jordan, of course, LeBron James will always be compared to Michael Jordan, as he should be, okay? But it is Michael Jordan. LeBron James is nowhere near Michael Jordan, on the court or off the court. Of course, you have Kareem. You've got Wilt Chamberlain. You've got Wes Unseld. You've got Oscar Robertson. You've got Walt Clyde, Frazier, Patrick Ewing. The list goes on and on. Carl Malone and company, okay? All of these guys, what do they have besides being in the Hall of Fame, being legendary on the court? but also being great community members, guys that you just never saw went off, did stupid things off the court, on the court. Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Ernie Banks, the list goes on and on. No iconic player acts like LeBron James. This guy whines, he cries, he leaves press conferences, he blows off press conferences, he partakes in negative campaigns, he's arrogant, he acts very juvenile on the court, which this uh, demonstrates that we're talking about right now in, in this game against Indianapolis, uh, against the Indiana Pacers. You are held to a higher standard when you are superstar like LeBron James. You got to conduct yourself in a professional manner because you are going to be judged on everything you do. Like I said, outside the court, on the court, it doesn't matter. You've got to you got to do better than this. So. And he is really one of the few superstars that's not very well liked. I mean, sure, there's a fraction of people that love him for his, you know, championships, you know, and winning championships in Cleveland with the Lakers. I get that, okay. But you know what? This isn't envy or jealousy. It's just people are tired of his antics. He's not a likable guy. And for a guy who is at the twilight of his career, he's ready to retire. You don't need this. And I don't recall Michael Jordan doing a lot of this type of nonsense. All right? You don't need to dance. You don't need to showboat. Uh, Trash talking is one thing. But the me first mentality and everything else that this guy does, it just turns people off. Plain so good for Kareem. You got some terrible Tuesday takes. Hit us on Twitter at TCMartin21. What has irritated you over the past sporting weekend? All right, we come back. Uh, we are going to talk to Chris Basio. We got some Major League Baseball to talk about. It is the offseason, but this is a treacherous offseason. MLB lockout underway. <laughs> Logic and insanity mixed into a perfect prescription from the Dr. T.C. Martin. You know, we've got so much football we're talking about, basketball. It is the Major League Baseball offseason, but uh, it is not only a hot stove time. We're free agency. We're talking a lot about that, but... Major League Baseball is facing a lockout, and it's underway, and it's happening. And we're going to talk to our good friend Chris Basio, the former pitcher, the former pitching coach with us Cubs, uh, and he's uh, still showing off that bling, and he's out in the Midwest. I think he's in snowy Wisconsin. He's making the rounds everywhere. Baza, you on the old tailgate tour? What's going on, man? TC, how you doing? I'm just visiting my son. <laughs> I know. Come on, I'm trying to trying to pump you up like you you know you're shaking hands, kissing babies, uh, you know whatever, going skiing, and, and what are you doing? You're probably at some arcade or you're at some buffet. That's it. There, Chris Bosio, ladies and gentlemen, breaking news. I'm sure he is at the old folks buffet, the early bird special. Don't forget, Boz. They're in Green Bay or Appleton. You can get a buffet for five ninety nine. Sorry, I just got back from a quick trip. It's five degrees outside. I got a $5 sandwich. <laughs> the quick trip. I remember the quick trip. The red and white. I remember the quick trip very well, my friend. There you yep. go. Yep. Uh, you know. Hey, here's that's, one for you. 
You're a Northern California guy like me. And remember, we used to go up to Tahoe all the time. And then when I moved to Green Bay, people from California would always say, hey, uh, so do you got to put chains on? And I'd look at them like, no, we they, they don't have chains on, you know, your, your car in Green Bay. But if you remember, up, up in Tahoe, I mean, you couldn't travel up there without chains like Tahoe or Reno. And I guess that would be because of the hills. Do you have an educated explanation for our people in, in southern or northern California, Boz, about why people don't use chains uh, there in the Midwest or back east? When it's, when it's blowing up top on the pass up there, they, they won't let anybody buy unless you have chains. And it, it, nobody's going to pass. It doesn't matter if you've got four-wheel drive. It's just literally it's, it's – you will get blown right off the mountainside with that ice up there. Yeah, I know, right? And it's it's something else. I mean, it's not like back here where it's. I mean, it gets nasty, you know, back here as well. But the hills, the elevation changes. You know, that's what's really dangerous. That's where you get a lot of trucks and cars sliding out of control, going uphill or downhill. No, oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, have you ever had any uh, treacherous time, even your days back in Milwaukee when you were playing? I mean, I know I did because I used to make that commute quite a bit uh, to Green Bay to Milwaukee. And, man, I, I, I had some treacherous stories there, man. I'm, I'm just wondering if you did. Well, we've, we've seen a couple people going to the ditch in front of us where we've jumped out and, you know, and tried to help them. Uh, one occasion, you know, wenched them out, but. Uh, luckily, knock on wood, you know, we haven't been a part of anything like that. But it, it's nasty. I mean, this morning, you know, my son goes out and we had, you know, 50-mile-an-hour winds and, and single digits. And the car's literally getting blown all over the place as he's driving down the street. You know, so it, it's it's already here. And it's, what, December 7th? It's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Chris Bazio has uh, joined us. Boz, uh, speaking of things that, uh, you know, kind of treacherous and, you know, uh, just kind of nightmarish, you actually lived through the 1994 Major League Baseball strike and, you know, people, you know, threatening to cross the picket line, some did, some didn't, all that sort of thing. And it was the last work stoppage that Major League Baseball had. And here we go, um, December 1st, the lockout started, collective bargaining agreement not in place right now, and this is a a very scary time for a lot of Major League Baseball players, uh, coaches, managers, executives, and, and fans as we get into this right now. So for a guy that actually went through it, lived through it, what are your thoughts as you know, the off season was approaching, December one was coming, and not a whole bunch of conversation has been taking place between both sides here. And now all of a sudden, boom! You know, players are locked out. Is this deja vu? Are you are you feeling a little bit of that? Uh, you know, it's it's so ridiculous where we're at already because this this was doable. I mean, there's there's a common ground on everything, and not being able to find it already with time given, with the money that we're talking about that's available in the industry to share, it just doesn't make sense. I don't get it. I didn't get it. I went through three strikes. And when Mr. Seeley canceled the World Series, I, th- I thought I'd, I'd seen everything. I, I still... I couldn't believe it. I had I went in the next year and I had him sign a couple of baseballs on the World Series balls on the World Series that wasn't. I have two autographed baseballs from him signed on World Series balls that I got from uh, Clubhouse Kid up in Toronto. I mean, and that's not something I'm proud to be, you know, a part of. But you know, back then we were talking about. You know, major league minimum salaries. My first year, I made thirty six thousand dollars. Now they're talking. Now the minimum is five eighty, and they're talking about it going up. And I, I think with everything that's happening in baseball and the cost of everything and the money being made in these television packages that these each team are launching, there's a there's a lot of money to be had out there to be 
to be shared and given back to the fans. Really, TC, think about that. How about it? How about trying to make that a, a better experience for the fans with all that money being tossed around? So how can you do that? How about, you know, maybe different chairs or, you know, being able to order? How about, how about knocking off some, some cost on your ticket prices where it doesn't, you don't have to mortgage your house mm-hmm. to go see a game? We had 27 years of labor peace here. And I think a lot of fans just thought, okay, you know, that that's way behind us now. 1994 is a long time. 948 games were lost during that season. And uh, I got it. I got it. I'll be right there. Somebody <laughs> did. Um, where are you at, boss? Are you at home? Someone ringing on your bell? Or are you going in a gas station? What are you doing there? No, I'm at my my son's place. Oh, there you go. I love it. I love it. It's Christmas time, man. People are dropping off packages. People are dropping off packages. And how many of our radio stations back there are playing Christmas music already? It's December 7th, and they've already flipped the switch. Back in Green Bay, there's a couple, and you know what I'm talking about there. November 1st, they start playing Christmas music. That's a little bit much, my friend. Drives me nuts back there. Telling you. That's too much. I know it is. It is too much. Hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, they they do a little. You know, they get carried away. I mean, all the streets are lit up, and uh-huh. you know, it is what it is back here. I swear. It is. It is. It is a different world, no doubt. As I digress, here I'm talking about 948 games being being lost, and then I hear a doorbell ring, and then I'm I'm going all over the place here to Christmas music. Uh, go figure that. Anyway. Uh, I don't know where I was going with this thing, but yeah, 27 years they were thinking, okay, this thing is is over. Boz, I mean, again, you you had coached for the better part of of the last you know 10 to 15 years. Did you think that we were going to have to go through this again, or after 1994 and 27 years of peace, did you think, okay, uh, this we're never going to go through this again for what you said because all of the money is there, it's all there, and it's shareable. You know, TC, I, and, and for a lot of people, I don't think they remember what kind of damage was done in the last work stoppage. I mean, fans did not come back. And I, I can't imagine, you know, it getting to that point, but we never thought it was going to get to that point before, let alone a World Series being canceled. So, yeah, I... I you know, you think a deal is going to get done, but, you know, we were very fortunate. Don Fuhrer was our, you know, labor leader who struck that agreement. And the one thing that he wanted was longevity, and we got that. And, again, look at some of the contracts that were being signed right at the last second, TC. What, what does that tell us? about our industry right now, some of the money that's getting thrown around. Right. Literally thrown around. I mean, pretty good sign, right? Mm-hmm. So are we in that bad of shape where these organizations, all these owners had guns to their heads and, you know, made these these players sign these contracts? <laughs> no. Yeah, $300 million contracts that were signed, you know, days before – the lockout began on December the 1st. And you're right. It, it, now everything is, is frozen, put to a halt, and everything. Uh, you know, nothing is happening you know, right now. Uh, and just to clarify, so a lot of our, our listeners, Boz, may be a little bit confused. When you say that you had World Series balls signed for the year that it was canceled, uh, go ahead and explain that. And, and, and you and I have talked about this before, but... Uh, th- these b- these baseballs had the basically with the World Series logo on there already prepared, and you got your hands on that, right? Because obviously there was no World Series, so therefore there couldn't be any World Series baseballs for you to to get signed by Bud Selig. No, the in 1994 the World Series was canceled. In '95, when the Mariners made their big run, we went up to Toronto, and one of the clubhouse guys. He used to help me downloading movies and music and everything. He was he was great. Oh, he was a bootlegger. That's 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 what it is. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> and he said, "Hey, you ever seen a couple of these?" And he showed me, and they were World Series balls. And I, how'd you get your hands on these? He goes, "Well, we were in the run in that year, 
So Major League Baseball has delivered a bunch of World Series balls here. I go, give me a couple of those. So I grabbed a couple, and our next road trip, we were going to Milwaukee, and I went into Mr. Seeley's office, and I said, Mr. Seeley, would you mind signing these? He goes, how'd you get your hands on those? And I said, well, the clubhouse kid, Tommy, gave me these. And I said, I think they're the only two in existence. Would you sign them for me? He goes, sure, no problem. Signed them for me, and I, I got them in my collection. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, T.C. Martin Show does not endorse any of this uh, <laughs> felonious nature. Uh, the, the, the views and expressed on this show from its guests are purely coincidental. <laughs> We're not endorsing any criminal activity on the T.C. Martin Show. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Hi, boss. What's going on, man? Not too much. Just talking about my baseball collection. Yeah, that's exactly. Hey, I still got my my baseball cards. Okay, uh, in my old uh, Kenny shoe box. You remember the, the Kenny shoe store, don't you? Right there, in, you know, on Folsom Boulevard. I, yeah, or Gallon Camp or Kenny. I still got my baseball cards uh, in my old shoe boxes there. I had that conversation. Uh, you know, our good friend Dusty Baker was in town uh, this past weekend, and. Uh, we got a chance to, to talk about baseball cards and all kinds of stuff. So we, we had a good time this weekend here, man. Good. Good. Yeah. yeah. There you go, man. All right. Chris Bosio, join us. Man, $36,000 in the early, mid-80s for your, your rookie contract. And like you said, 580000 in 2021. Yeah, I think that the state of the game is in pretty good shape right now. Well, you know, the one thing that we fought for in those strikes was trying to make sure that the players received better pension, whether you had one day in or, you know, you, you were a full pension guy. And that's one thing that Players Association has accomplished is really making sure that these players, that if, you know, they step foot on the field, that they're going to receive something, you know, for their hard work throughout the minor leagues and, and in turn minor league they got minor league pension as well. And now one of the biggest obstacles that we were trying to overcome, because I was a part of this group that suffered. And when I mean suffered, I mean, we suffered five guys living in a two bedroom, you know, apartment and rotating, you know, roommates the entire year, you know, now major league baseball stepping in, they're handling all the minor league housing for these guys. Because you can't you can't afford minor league housing on the money that we were making back then. Now they can, but now on top of making better money, now each major league organization is going to step in and pay for their housing, which is going to help their schooling. You know, if they're international players, and also help those guys with financing and also with schooling. Some of the night night classes will be involved in uh, some of these classes that the organizations are going to be involved with. You know, when you were a coach, okay, and again, former player, but then, you know, you're, you're in the coach, uh, say you're a coach or you're a manager, and I know that we had labor peace while you were a coach, but there were still threats that, okay, we, we could have a strike, and then everything, you know, got worked out. But do you have a different position or a different take? Or when you were in that position – you remember how it was for you as a player and, and, and again, how, how, how bad it was. Did you just have to you know, step yourself back? Did you have to be neutral? I mean, what, what was your, your mindset and your position as a coach when you had the threat of, of non-labor peace? I remember it very well. Matt Sinatra was our bullpen coach, and during the strike – uh, he would come over and he would catch me in the cul-de-sac in bullpens trying to stay sharp because, you know, at that point, you know, when the strike hit, you know, after the World Series locked out and going in, we didn't know we were going to play. And then finally it broke uh, late in spring in 95, but we had no idea what was going on. But yes, as a coach, you become corporate and there's a fine line there. But you have to be somewhat, I guess, give your ear to the players. But you're not, you're not supposed to be having any contact with them at all. 
And normally these players are down in Arizona, you know, working out at the, the facilities from January. And now these, you know, all these facilities are locked up and closed, not to say they don't have other places to work out, but the majority of these players live around where their spring training complexes are, and you're taking away a large part of their training, especially in a year where there's a lot a lot of injuries, again, a lot of ankles and hip flexors and, and knees. You know, you're probably looking at exactly the same thing if there's any kind of more work stoppage because you're taking away from a lot of the training that these guys have. It's, it's just a mess, TC. Right. Yeah, total mess. Chris Bazio uh, joins us. All right, Boz, uh, free agency, like I said, you know, was underway, uh, got, you know, got halted here. But the Texas Rangers started making some moves, and, uh, you know, they signed Corey Seager to a, a huge contract. Rangers been been pretty active here. Um, how much of the, say, the no state tax, and we deal with that here in Nevada quite a bit, uh, plays into some of these guys, you know, signing in the uh, state of Texas, uh, because there's there's definitely some savings there, especially if you're you're signing a long term contract, right? You know, I, I think that got played up a little bit. I, I look more at what he did in the postseason in that stadium. Okay. He crushed the ball there, but didn't he hit seven home runs? And the Dodgers had the advantage because they were there throughout the yeah, last year NLCS right. and then the World Series. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that was a selling point for himself. I mean, the ball flies in that park. And it's tailored especially for left-handed batters. Mm-hmm. Texas is, I tell you, it's scary. They got minor league players that are very talented. You know, look, look mm-hmm. for them to kind of make a splash in that uh you know that 10 year 12 year starter you know i i wouldn't be surprised if they made a run at like john lester or that kind of starting pitcher to bring some a little bit of grit and a little tenacity into that rotation on a team that's very very young you know you you supposedly now you have your superstars there but you're going to need some some pitchers that you can pencil in you know, every fourth, every fifth day. Well, you know, like I said, they got Corey Seager at 10 years, $325 million. Marcus Simeon, so they got your double play combo up the middle now, seven years, $175 million. Um, they went and they got they got Sonny Gray, but I was thinking that same thing that you're thinking. I'm thinking possibly Clayton Kershaw. Do you think Kershaw makes sense there? I mean, he's a native Texan, that he comes back there. And then again, I mean, what kind of money could Kershaw command uh, and do you think he has much left in the tank? I don't think he'd ever. I don't think the Dodgers would ever allow it. Just they, they would. Dodgers are an organization to me that he is a free really agent. Gonna, I know. I just I look at Kirsch and what he's done and what he's meant to Dodger baseball. And the Dodgers, obviously, the Cubs aren't an organization that are going to do that. They're not going to reward their guys. For what they've done, I, I think the Dodgers organization that are going to try to do that with Kirsch, you know, I, I think he's in a different category from a, a lot of guys, even Seager, because of what he's meant to the organization. It would it would shock me if he left or if they allowed him to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard Camley Jansen was really close with the Marlins right before this thing this thing hit. Mm-hmm. So there's some. There's some there's some stuff going on, and a lot of stuff that we didn't know about. I mean, I'm not surprised CC that Javier Baez was the smartest one, and 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 took the best offer that was out there fast. Javi's Javi's smart that way, and Detroit could make a move and challenge the White Sox. Their their pitching's very young and very dominant, and now they got some position players and and you got the you got Javier Baez playing all over the place and diving all over the place. You know, that's that's crazy to think about what could happen there. But I'm not surprised Detroit got him and got him early. Yeah. Max Scherzer with the Mets. Mets have no problem spending money. Uh they're they're kind of the butt of a lot of the jokes here, the way they're running their organization. Uh Max uh, definitely went for the money, didn't he? Max went for the money, but I'm I'm telling you right now, some 
something big's going to happen in New York with Billy Epler. It's not just going to be signing free agents. Something's going to happen. They're going to they're going to make a splash, make a trade, do something. They are not done. They're not not going to be just a couple free agents, you know, and, and free agency. It's going to be bigger than that. All right. We'll uh, keep an eye on it, and hopefully we do have baseball. What's your gut right now, Boz? We got baseball come April? I think we get it done. I really do. There's, there's, there's just too much stuff going on in the right direction for Major League Baseball and you know, I don't. I, I, I'm, it would be on the commissioner's watch, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. because salaries are where they're at. There's going to be some escalators in there. TV packages are going up. You know, do the right thing, spread the money out. It's all the right agencies and the minor leagues and pension funds for everybody, and let's move on. What's, Everybody's making what, money. What's the biggest sticking point? Right, it's really it's not the salaries. It really is more of free agent time, right? I mean, that's they, exactly right. Yeah, that's what it is. You know, the players, you know, don't want to, you know, they want to be able to get to free agency, you know, quicker. So, and I can understand and where owners would be afraid of that. I get that. Well, and they're free and their, their franchises are worth more money than they've ever been worth. So if you want to sell it, you can go make your money. And if you don't, then sit on your gold mine franchise, but it's only going to become more valuable. There it is. Point and uh, counterpoint. There you have it. All right, brother. We'll let you go, man. Uh, enjoy. Are you, you going to be there th- all throughout Christmas? Are you, are you going to stay no. there in a winter wonderland? Are you going to come back to the desert? No, I, I come back and forth. So I'll, I'll come back uh, in probably about a week, 10 days, and then try to get back out of here again right after Christmas and New Year. Okay, good deal. Do I need to – you want me to email you or text you my birthday slash Christmas uh, uh, list? Or what do you want me to do? Um, <laughs> I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> That's all you got, I, I guess. I thought you have a witty one-liner after that or something, you know. Well, I mean, I for all the times I picked you up on your show, I was expecting like a, a wine bottle or something oh. from you. Yeah, there you go. I got a Baker family wine bottle for you. How's that? Is that good? There you go. You, you're gonna regift it. That's you. That's, that's it. <laughs> there it is. The regifter. All right, brother. Hey, <laughs> being right, a well, regifter is better than being a grifter. Remember that. That's it. Okay. Take, okay. take care, brother. Great <laughs> talking to you. All right. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. Chris Bazio, still sporting that World Series ring 2016 with the Cubs. Got to love it. No, no, back in the day with the Mariners. Great friend. Great guy. All right, more baseball coming next hour. Jacques Jones is going to join us. And then the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright. He was in attendance at his gym, War Memorial in San Francisco. UNLV played the Dons on Saturday night. We'll talk that NBA and a whole lot more coming your way. Hour number two on a terrible Tuesday.